0: Hi everyone, welcome to Trader Chats, unique perspectives from seasoned traders. I'm your host, Imran Larka, founder of Options Insight and 20 year professional options trader. As you might know, I became a trading mentor about three years ago, but I thought these conversations would be a great way for my students to gain valuable perspectives from some of the professional traders that I know and respect. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Trader Chats, everyone. Uh, Today's episode is called The Importance of Positioning. And my guest today is my good friend, Brent Kachuba of Spot Gamma. Hey, Brent, how's it going? Great, Imran, how are you doing? Good, thanks so much for coming on, mate. It's great to have you. Absolutely. I love the opportunity. Um, and uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background in trading and, and what you're up to over there at Spot Gamma?
1: Sure. So uh, originally I started off as a broker. I was a broker for Bank of America and Carter Swiss in equities and derivatives. And then I worked for the uh, market maker known as Wolverine. I was a broker there as well. And then following that, I traded for a family office and built some option strategies. And those, the foundation of those strategies turned into SpotGamma.com where I write a daily analysis uh, on the options positioning in the S&P 500. And then we also analyze over 3,500 different uh, individual single stocks.
0: And I know all about Spot Gamma because I'm, I'm a subscriber myself. So, you know, I, I, love <laughs> the, right. I love the work you're doing over there. Thank um, you very much. Yeah. So uh, I guess the sort of question, the obvious first question would be, why is positioning so important? Do you think? And I'm not talking about necessarily options positioning, but just in general in trading, what is it about positioning that that makes it so kind of relevant to uh, to market moves and things like that? In your opinion? Yeah. So
1: I think when you know how somebody is positioned and how large their position is, you know that is information that is invaluable. And there are a lot of people that strictly trade off of how people are positioned in the market, uh, irrespective of what the fundamentals may be in any kind of asset, right? And you could look at real estate markets or Bitcoin, I know you're a big, your big fan of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and certainly the mean mania per, you know, proved this, right? It didn't matter what the fundamentals are necessarily, it just mattered what the supply and demand was. And then mm-hmm. you can figure out how people are positioned, then you know how they're going to have to act or react for a given change in price, right? So it, it's, it's the behavioral side of knowing how someone's positioned and then knowing the actions or steps they will take if their position starts to move in their favor or, or against them.
0: So I guess you're, cause I guess, you know, trading is all about the marginal buyer or seller, right? That's going to determine mm-hmm. whether we go up or down. So, so what we're saying is if we can get a handle on a decent universe of the investors who are playing in a certain stock or a certain asset, and we understand what their positioning is, we can get a sense of what their psychology will be because at right. the end of the day, a lot of your actions within the market are a function of your your emotions, right? And sometimes right. those emotions are triggered by moves in the market. And, and if everyone's basically on the same side of the boat and some piece of news that comes out to the contrary, you know that everyone's going to panic at the same time. And, and understanding that concentrated position that is out there gives you a sense of where the fragility lies in the market and where, where you might get outsized positions that are a bit bigger than normal basically right yeah
1: 100 and and i think that applies not only to traders but when you look into commodities i mean you know today we have the bitcoin etf which is a futures based etf so i'm curious on your your feedback there but look at the oil squeeze um, the uranium squeeze is a popular one here recently where you know, there's a certain amount of uranium that's needed to run generators, the like, and there's an ETF now that's starting to buy up all well, the physical uranium. So you can start to look around and say, okay, I know what it, where the pressure is coming. I know how these the ETF is is positioned right. I know that nuclear uh, plants need to buy uranium, or oil mm-hmm. companies need to buy or produce oil. There's not enough oil, and and that's going to squeeze these things, right? It's going to squeeze these stocks. And so, you know, you can look at oil that way, or Bitcoin. You know, with the new ETF, ETF is that going to you know create a, a scarcity in Bitcoin. Um and and those are positions, right? And those are positions that you know can be squeezed. And in this case, uh, you mm. can you can possibly position yourself to take advantage of that squeeze.
0: Yeah. I mean I agree. Like so much of psych trading is about the psychology of the investor base. Right. It's much yeah. a lot of the time, especially in the short term, right? You get obviously you get research analysts who study the fundamentals and and they might formulate a really accurate one to two year view on an asset. And they, that really, their analysis really does matter to that. And that may Mm. well play out over the next two years, but what's going to happen in the next half an hour is about positioning, right? Way more about positioning than it is about fundamentals, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I, I think too, I mean, you can even scan back a little bit. I mean, I mean, take GameStop, for example, you know, the stock, doesn't have any fundamental basis for trading at one hundred and ninety dollars a share and however many billion dollars of market cap is at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of fundamental people are are pulling their hair out saying this doesn't make sense. But there's humongous options positions in that name that just hold this up, and there's a lot of people who have bought the stock and they never want to sell it ever for you know whatever their narrative is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know this kind of I guess circles back to the idea that you know pr- prices, you know what the next guy's willing to sell or buy at um mm-hmm. you know and if you know how that person is going to be forced to buy or sell then then that's the positioning i think aspect of it
0: okay so then that kind of leads on to the next thing which is okay so we understand positioning plays a major part in short-term price movements now how do options positions feed into this right and how do they impact the market um you, yes
1: you- yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there no, no, um sorry the 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 fun thing with options and positioning is that we know that most of the people when you buy or sell an option you're you're transacting with a market maker uh, or a dealer and we can estimate based on uh, publicly available data and some of our modeling you know where the dealers are positioned or where big pockets of options exist we know when options are going to expire we know how hedge activity or hedge flow will have to change based on the stock price movement so we understand exactly what a you know how these market makers or dealers are positioned we know when their position is set to change etc and so we can start to forecast how these hedging flows or the steps that dealers have to take to protect themselves will start to impact the stock or move a stock around
0: mm-hmm. so it's all about the delta hedging flows which is what the market makers have to do when they take option positions against say, a bunch of retail traders, they have to then transact stock against that option position to hedge themselves. And we're talking about those hedging flows that are then driving the price of the stock up or down, basically. Is that right?
1: Right. Right. That, that's exactly right. And sometimes it's you know quite obvious how people are positioned. I mean, that's what made, made the meme stocks so much fun to trade, in, and they've been percolating again recently here with the likes of SoFi and some of these other, you know, uh, names. But we knew that retail was coming in to buy these options. So that that made it even more obvious exactly how market makers, you know, were positioned and mm-hmm. what would have to happen if the stock continued to go up. And you could see also in the price of options, uh, they are a function of supply and demand, right? When there's more demand for call options, the implied volatility of those options goes higher, the price of the option goes higher, so we can really lock in exactly how people are positioned Mm -hmm. Uh, and what hedging flows may take place for a given step. Um, You know, one of the interesting things about options, obviously, is the time to expiration, right? So there's a decay to these positions. We can bet on what happens to a dealer's position or a market maker's position because of that decay or or what happens if the stock goes down or up or if people switch from a long view to a short view. Um, So there's so many different ways to play this positioning. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, based on either your fundamental outlook or simply just wanted to be a trader and, you know, famously not caring what the underlying stock does.
0: Yeah, and then do you, and then so, okay, so it makes sense. So option positions, you know, the delta hedging of options positions has an impact on the spot price. And the bigger the options open interest is relative to, you know, how much stock trades on a a day, on an average day, Mm -hmm. that's going to have more and more impact, I imagine, right? So... Yeah. You know, what about do you do you kind of keep an eye on the structural hedging flows that are in a market? For example, like the S and P is something you obviously monitor very closely. Like, and we know typically institutions, the big money managers, tend to be buyers of put options and sellers of call options. Right. Does that structural does that structural flow and positioning that the dealers take the other side of? Does that have a strong impact in in the dynamics and, and and kind of what you see going on there?
1: Yeah, that that structural position has a very important uh, impact on the flow or the movement of the S and P in the short term. Now, obviously, if the Fed comes out and cuts interest rates suddenly, or or some other major macro event happens, you know, mm. the the options market could be overrun in the short term, or it could exacerbate the sort of the main movement of the market. But we found and statistically shown that. The position of calls and puts in the market and how big that position is has a major impact on the volatility of the S and P 500 and mm-hmm. also its movement. Um, I, I like to give this famous example of sort of how positioning can affect the uh, affect the S and P 500. If you remember back in the COVID crash in March of 2020, you know the market was down 30, 40 percent, and mm-hmm. things were just you know careening lower, right? And the low in the market, we've talked about this before, the low in the S&P was the day after the March quarterly options expiration. So on the March expiration, which is a Friday, we had hundreds of thousands of put positions expire. So that meant that dealers and market makers were no longer short put options, right? And they could unwind their hedging, meaning... They had short hedges to hedge themselves, and the day after expiration, they could start to buy back all of those hedges because they no longer had these put positions on, right? Mm -hmm. So that put the low in the market. The day after uh, that expiration was the low in the S&P 500, and the market is up, I don't know how many, hundreds of percent, you know, something Uh, like that since that day, right? I mean, there was just a V bottom off of that. And that exemplifies exactly how positioning can affect a a trade and investment, but also how the options position can affect the movement of the S&P 500.
0: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm and um and then you have these you also have these other apart from just the the gamma hedging flows which everyone talks about obviously that's in the name of your firm spot gamma you've got these other factors right called charm and vanna, that people most people don't understand right but basically i mean the way i would the way i would characterize that is when you've got this big structural position in puts versus calls that means that through the passage of time the the amount of the amount of hedging that, or the, the, the size of the delta hedge that dealers need to have on is a moving target, basically, right? And exactly. so, as the premium burns away of those options, because you know that structurally the street is long one side of the boat and short the other side of the boat, as the premium is burning off, they're going to be net forced to buy back futures or sell futures, whichever way around it is. And those are called charm and vanna flows, basically, is that is that right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you think about uh, a weekly option, which are so popular in the meme stocks, if I was to buy a call today that expires in five days, that call all else being equal as, and if the stock doesn't move, you know, as you know, that call price is going to decay every day a little bit, right? It's going to drop 10, 20% every single day, just as a function of time. And so mm-hmm. if I'm a market maker hedged, uh, hedging out that call, every time that call loses value because of this decay function, I can adjust my hedge there. Right. So that's the charm mm-hmm. flow. And then the second one, as you mentioned, was Vanna, which is a big one. And, and Vanna tells us what the Delta hedge is for a given change in implied volatility. So implied volatility is really important function in the options market. Uh, but you can think of it as a, as a, as an expression of supply and demand. And, you know, for example, when the market is crashing and put values are rapidly expanding, right. Cause implied volatility is spiking higher put values are going higher and a market maker who's short an option is going to be feeling some pain, right? And so they need to hedge by selling more futures. That's the van of function. As ball mm-hmm. expands, they would need to, in this case, short more futures. And as implied mm-hmm. volatility comes back in because people think the crisis is over, they can buy futures back. Mm-hmm. And exactly. so when you, right. And so when you assume that the position is massive in terms of billions of put positions in the S&P 500 alone, you mm-hmm. can see how those flows would have a major impact on uh, on the on the movement of the underlying asset, and the other thing is about this is that it's a reflexive feedback loop. For example, you know, last week there was uh, the market was down around forty three hundred in the S and P five hundred, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of put positions. And what happened was uh, after the FLMT came out, there was Fed minutes and a few other macro data points that seemed to give a all clear to the market, right? And the market started mm-hmm. to catch a little bit of a bid. So once the market catches a bid put values start to crash right put values start to drop down so dealers can start to buy back some of their short hedges mm-hmm. and when they start to buy back short hedges the put values obviously start to lose more money right because now the market's mm-hmm. going up because dealers are buying back shorts and mm-hmm. so the dealers go oh now my puts because i've been buying back stock now my puts are losing even more value and it becomes this feedback loop it becomes this mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh mechanism to force you know the the uh Stocks higher. So you know the the reflexive, uh the word reflexivity is a George Soros term back from the Bank of England when he had built a huge position in British pounds, right? And and he right. knew how the bank was positioned and the what the bank was gonna do. That's a right. fascinating story to read. Uh but he knew how the bank was positioned and and he was gonna squeeze them. It was it was positioning and, and some poker, you know. <laughs> game theory, uh,
0: right? Yeah, yeah,
1: game theory, right? Exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. So,
0: yeah, and like um, And, you know, sort of uh, related to your point as well, the whole vol selling thing, right? Like you're talking about people having to buy back futures and that makes puts drop even more and and it becomes reflexive. But then on top of that, add the general volatility selling appetite that comes when Mm -hmm. the market stabilizes and people might sell VIX futures or they might sell vanilla options, Delta hedged. And they just supply the street with a load of volatility, which makes roll right. drop even more. Which makes the the Vanner effect make them buy the market even more, and that just adding to that that reflexivity loop that you described. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and you can. What's interesting too is that the S and P five hundred and now the Q the QQQ Nasdaq ETF they both have uh, expirations three times a week, and and the volatility sellers are uh, tend to show up in those products a little bit more. I think because they feel like they have. Uh, more certainty because it's short such short term mm. days expiration and obviously there's a little bit of a premium in there because there's of those extra extra expirations and so there's so much flow that comes in those very short term options to sell that volatility and then obviously obviously the weekly options in, in the meme stocks um, is prevalent that's where most of the volume is so you can see these demand cycles you know play out every single week you know almost every other day now uh, with these extra expirations.
0: Yeah. So I was going to ask you a little bit more about that explosion in the retail options activity and this whole meme stock craze and with GME and AMC and all that stuff. And and what your take is and where you think that's heading, basically. Obviously, we know this almost I I remember you've called it weaponizing gamma from from like the the retail army and, and how they kind of just coordinate and decide which stock they're going to buy next, or buy calls on next, and put all their premium into it, and it just works, yeah. right? So, what do you what do you think about this kind of meme craze? And do you see it just carrying on the way it is? Do you see it evolving? I, Has I, it changed in the last six months? Is that what do you see?
1: Yeah, it's changed in the last six months, and I think the big change is the, you know, back in January. I, I heard recently, and I'm uh, a fuzzy memory here, but I think it was a GameStop. The movement in GameStop was like a five sigma event, right? Nobody expected that stock to ever go from order $5 or $10 up to $350, $500 a share, right? And that caught everybody off guard. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just GameStop, it was, you know, 100 other stocks that were squeezing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that caught a lot of models off guard, right? Citadel has a volatility model when they're, when they're, you know, they're market makers. They have a volatility model. Hedge funds have a volatility model. Uh, brokers have a volatility model to, to calculate how much margin they need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the SEC just released a, report, re, uh, released a report last night talking about the catalyst of GameStop. And they said that the clearing agent, which is the DTCC, issued margin calls to Robinhood based on their volatility model. So yeah. that caught, caught everyone off guard. And now that people understand what the the possibilities are, right? The potential of this weaponized gamma short squeezes and and the mean mania, right? People's models could adjust and what they think is possible is different now. So you can see implied volatility now in my view will ratchet up much faster. In other words, the price of options leaps much faster because I know if a squeeze starts in some random stock I have to respect that order flow, right? Um, right. I can't just say there's no way the stock is gonna go up another three, 400% because Look, uh, January proved me wrong. Mm-hmm. So those models now, the volatility models, I think, adjust much faster. They make the price of options uh, jump much faster. And I think that caps the squeeze, right? Because what was once a very cheap call for maybe a week, right, is only a cheap call for like an hour. <laughs> and so, you know, mm-hmm. you go, well, I'm not going to pay 500 implied vol for an option you know and at the money option anymore I'm just, i can't do that anymore and that and that cats the squeeze right mm-hmm. and i also think that the the dealers have such good information now that they can adjust their own hedging flows to not get caught up in that reflexive feedback loop as fast mm-hmm. um so I, I think it's harder to squeeze now
0: i guess maybe as well um the rise of this kind of retail dynamic and the fact that they all go on public forums, right. to discuss what they think about a stock, that's all, that's all a a publicly available information. So you can get, you've got, you've got some sites that actually publish the sentiment across retail forums for various names in terms of how much they're mentioned, whether people are bullish, whether people are bearish. I think there's one called swaggy stocks. There's another one called, Memeberg Terminal, like random names, right? <laughs> uh, but I guess having that information, and if you're a market maker in those type of stocks, that's probably one of your inputs now in terms of understanding yeah. how to risk manage those positions, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that you know it's it's become a murky uh, source of data, in my view, some of these social you know media sites because you know everybody knows about Robinhood now, or, uh, excuse me, Wall Street Bets now, and there are bots on there, right? There are all sorts mm-hmm. of actors trying to do all sorts of different things. And so I think back in January when Wall Street Bets was just kind of becoming this household name, it was like a very clean signal. Like you knew what these guys were doing. You knew who they were. You knew all the all the parties involved, right? And now I think it's a little bit uh, – it's not quite as clear. Uh, but you can watch the sentiment position, you know, play out on uh on your brokerage terminals now you can see volatility spike you can see calls getting bought um mm. and i've heard there's bots out there that will buy calls and post on wall street bets at the same time right and doing all these crazy things to try so, to you know get people on their position i mean there's yeah. this famous cnbc video now of mark minervi pumping a stock you know and his and his feed goes out and you know it's this whole thing it was like pretty transparent this guy's you know in a position and he's on cnbc and he's trying to pump right and that's you know, this has now become ubiquitous, right? The the idea of, of pumping my position and, and it and it plays out in real time all day long. Right.
0: So before we had these pump and dump schemes, right, where it would be investment advisors or whatever trying to get people into some penny stocks, you know, like the Wolf of Wall Street type stuff. Now you've yeah, got yeah. randoms doing it on YouTube, right? Or on, <laughs> on Reddit forums, and and they they can pump it because everyone buys into the story. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so then, yes. Yeah, so then, what sort of tr- to, to what sort of trading opportunities do you think have come about now from say like the higher vol's? Like you're saying, these cool vol's are trading really, yeah. rich, or they can spike very quickly, uh, particularly in the weekly option space um, from all this ape speculation or whatever you want to call it. Um, I still don't understand that term, where that originates from, but it just makes me laugh. Um, but uh, yeah, what do you think? Like, what, are there any clear trading opportunities that have arisen from this type of flow that you've been able to capitalize on or that you think makes sense?
1: Yeah, I think one of the more interesting opportunities is, uh, you know, very simple one is, is being long some of these meme stocks, you know, particularly AMC and GameStop. The, the volatility is still so rich and the stocks don't actually so, sort of, the realized volatility of the stock still doesn't seem to match the implied. So you can do some basic call overriding there and I think be fairly mm-hmm. successful. Uh, I do generally like being short options because those implied, you know, volatilities are so expensive and, and mm-hmm. so high and so rich. Um, and I, so, you know, short options strategies, ratio plays are very interesting to me or, or butterflies uh, you know you want to have defined risk obviously uh, but being short in general uh, Vega in those names or you know or or, or playing decay uh, I think it, generally you can be pretty successful doing that and also trying to identify the stocks that are going to start pop, popping up and percolating uh, in our Going to be a catalyst, uh, or where there's a clear catalyst before people realize it. I'll give an example. You know, Coinbase is going crazy, right? These last few days, the stock's up mm-hmm. a ton. Tesla's up a whole bunch these last, you know, several days. And you can start to see the uh, the speculation kind of start to bubble, right? And you can position mm-hmm. in in those stocks uh, ahead of the squeezes. Sometimes you you can still identify when the squeezes are going to take place and, and kind of get in front of those.
0: And um, I guess your positions. your models and your Your data kind of tries to find that or identify that ahead of time, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, I think finding, you know, playing the names that have already popped where the volatility is very high is is much more transparent and easy to do, I think, uh, because it's obvious when something's had a major move, like a SoFi or, you know, even uh, Coinbase today, I mentioned before, uh, and Tesla's on quite a run. And you know, again, because of positioning, that there's a lot of volatility in that name. There's a lot that's about to happen. And you Mm -hmm. could draw some inferences about, you know how people are positioned in the name, what people think, what sentiment is, um, and and make some really successful options trades. That because the implied volatility is so high, they give you a fair amount of error room, right? Like the the uh, the probability of profit, I guess some of these people like to call it, uh, can be pretty wide. Um, you mm-hmm. know because the implied volatility is so high. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's a there's a lot of people out there that will overpay for options. Uh, you know they'll be, they'll buy calls at such high levels that um the payoff for those positions are nearly impossible right um and and i think you can sort of try to take the other side of that bet so i can still bet that the stock's going to go up uh while being short you know some very expensive calls Mm -hmm.
0: and then in your sort of positioning data um you've obviously got some embedded assumptions right as to which way round dealers are versus which way around the clients are and I guess in the index, my guess would be in the index space, it's structurally put buyers, clients are put buyers and call sellers. But in the single stock space, particularly in the meme single stock space, not the big large cap Apple types, but like the meme stocks, it's completely the other way around. So do you make those different assumptions in your model? And then do you kind of, how do you decide if your model is actually accurate or not? Like actually, it, it reflects the true positioning, that yep. is there a way of confirming that your model's got it the right way around? Like, how do you look at that?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So I would say that we have two different models. We have a model that is for the S&P 500, which is the index flow, which does assume that dealers are selling, uh, excuse me, dealers are buying calls. So the, the big funds are usually selling those calls. So mm-hmm. dealers are long calls and they're short puts. People are typically buying, traders are typically buying puts uh, for downside protection. Now, whether you look at individual stocks, where we assume that dealers are both long calls and puts on balance, uh, or that sort of different S&P 500 model, if you overlay volatility, right? If you look at skew uh, and term structure, uh, we've been looking a lot at uh, sticky delta uh, volatility or fixed strike volatility. If you sort of overlay that surface onto where people are positioned, you can very quickly figure out which way people are leaning, right? Now, there's some shades of gray where there's not a much of a position that you could tell. But if you look at the implied volatility surface of a name that's getting squeezed like SoFi again or uh, AMC or GameStop back in the day, you could see the volatility surface clearly showed a skew towards call buying. Um, mm-hmm. and, and most times you see in the S&P that calls are getting sold and there will be a, uh, a bid oftentimes to, I wouldn't call it tail risk, but you know 5% out of the money. Uh, puts is sort of typically the standard position. And then, and then the shorter dated options, those all get sold, right? <laughs> That's all these people crushing mm. short dated volatility. But, you know, skew was so high uh, in the S&P for the last several weeks. And so you could just verify your position okay. and your and your thesis is correct off of- uh, That off makes of a the, lot of sense,
0: uh, yeah. And for those who don't yeah. know that term skews, so we're talking about the difference in implied volatility between- you know, say downside puts or upside calls. And the idea is that if the implied volatility was completely the same in those options, out of the money options on both sides of the distribution, that would be no skew. But typically in equity markets, particularly in equity indices, we tend to see a supply demand imbalance that shifts that implied vol premium to the put side, and it makes the calls relatively cheaper because there's lots of sellers of them and that skew kind of gives you a clue on which way round the positioning is um, that the dealers get left with basically right so yeah okay yeah that makes sense yeah. overlaying the skew on top using that as your model to decide positioning yeah and then right. i guess monitoring that change in skew as well as price is moving is even more confirmation i guess right
1: yeah 100 because i think at the end of the day so we could tell because it's public information what the open interest is. And so we could figure out where the big strikes lie. You know, where's the big call, where big calls positioned? where big puts position. And then if you overlay the implied volatility, you know, on top of that uh, distribution, right, the distribution of gamma, you can, again, start to see, OK, for some reason, dealers are, you know, uh, have really ramped up the price of, you know, out of the money calls. Right. They mm. must be getting full. Their inventory must be getting full, mm-hmm. and so that's telling me that people are buying those calls, right? Because uh, yeah. dealers are going to adjust prices like supply and demand, just like anything else. You know, no one can buy cars if there's no cars available now. Car prices are going through the roof, and I think options are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's All not right. necessarily the size of the position there; it's it's how the how the dealers are, uh, how much inventory uh, the dealer and are.
0: do and do you, well, what gives you do you have any metric or anything that you look at to really increase your conviction about whether something is going to pin, right? So when you look at your, your gamma models and your flip your cool walls and your gamma flip points and your bowl mm-hmm. triggers and all that stuff, all that cool stuff that I'm now yeah. I'm used to looking at. Um, do you have a way of gauging whether your conviction should be particularly high about a certain asset pinning for an expiry? Like how how do you think about that?
1: Yeah. So the the key metric here, without giving away too much secret sauce, is we look at how much stock volume is taking place, okay. and we estimate how big the hedging flow is relative to that stock volume. Okay. So the idea is, our market makers is their hedging flow likely to be a significant amount of the stock's volume? If Citadel, uh, if Citadel's hedging flow is going to be 75% of tomorrow's volume in AMC, then I have a pretty good amount of conviction that the options are going to really control that name and that the uh, the major strikes that I'm looking at, where gamma is positioned, for example, um, that strike will stay in play, right? So if all the gamma is at $40 in AMC, which it typically is, and the estimated hedging flow is 25% of the stock's volume, then you could say, okay, this gives me a lot of conviction. Okay. Um, and we call that activity factor in in our models and that's that's hmm. available on our on our site. So, uh, that, do- so that's, the, that's the main
0: and does that typically tend to be much higher on single stocks than it is on indices? Because I guess index volumes are just massive, right? Or not?
1: Yeah. Well, the S&P is kind of a funny one, right? Because uh, so in spiders, you can tell, and it's, it's a huge position in the SPY, and QQQ. S- SPX is a little trickier because obviously it's not, there's futures volume there, right? But uh, mm-hmm. you know, the SPX itself is really just a derivative and obviously uh, there's arbitrage there. So the, the SPX index itself is based on where the 505 components of the S&P are trading. So there's mm. like some weird, you know, fundamentals in there, but uh, not fundamentals, but there's some weird um, uh, mechanics as to, you know, which, what is controlling price exactly. Uh, mm. But the options complex in the S&P 500 is just massive, right? It's billions and billions and billions of dollars. It's the key mm. way that, most major insurance companies pension funds and the like all hedge uh and, and so it is, a, it well, is i a, think S&P. it's
0: funny i think it's funny like you look back at the last six months almost every every significant correction in the market has been on expiry week right <laughs> i mean just goes yeah. to show you the in the price action that options seem to matter in the s&p right? yeah uh,
1: you know it, this is so funny because um you know, one of the important sort of moments in my trading life was August of 2015. And and I don't know if you remember that, but end of August, Mm -hmm. there was a a massive crash of the market. It went limit down, the exchanges closed, it was a mess, right? Um, And that was an important moment for me that showed, you know, what options positioning does. But I had just been doing some research on this, you know, over the weekend, actually. And I just realized that, August twenty first, which was the day of uh, the day before the huge crash, was an expiration day, and so I was looking at the options flow on that day, and people came in; they were buying, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands puts up into the close that day, which is an options expiration day. And then on Monday we go limit down, and mm-hmm. then like the low in the market uh, is essentially the 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 September expiration. So after the crash in, in August, end of mm-hmm. August, September was just a really tough month. Really whippy volatility. The market couldn't break out. It was just an ugly, choppy month. September expiration takes place, all those puts expire, and the market goes back to uh, August highs. I remember uh, it. So, even all the way back then, yeah. Was, I remember uh, it was the China
0: Deval story that triggered that, if I remember rightly.
1: Yeah. And the China Deval story, you know, I thought it was going to matter again. I, uh, you know, uh, night sweats i'd wake up saying "Oh, china's coming to get us again and, <laughs> yeah. uh you know so far no one no one really cares right we're back at all time highs, just despite evergreen and all that but yeah. I, I actually i have a question for you uh, mm. around this positioning and because I, I know we have a, just a few minutes left here but the bitcoin etf just launched right and i guess this is a futures based etf which is not quite the same as if it actually bought you know uh the commodity itself the commodity bitcoin so how, how do you see that playing out what sort of what's your positioning view
0: You know, Mm -hmm. or the impact of that. Mm. It's funny because I was going to ask you about Bitcoin, but I was going to say, you know, do you think this whole positioning analysis in options would work on Bitcoin? Um, Or or do you think the options market needs to be more established and have more predictable flows? Because, like we say at the moment, you know how we talked about SKU giving you an idea of where positioning was in the dealer community, right? Yeah. Well, if you, I've been trading crypto vol for like a year and a half now and skews all over the place like one week skew will be for calls another week it'll be for puts and then a week later it'll be for calls again and it's so volatile like the, the volatility of the skew itself is is all over the shop with spot. yeah Um and it doesn't it doesn't always correlate with spot. Sometimes it does the opposite of what spot's doing. But, but because there's no kind of consistency, I mean the longer dated stuff is consistent generally. The call skew is normally the one that has the premium for anything 6 months and longer. That's pretty consistent, right? But anything in the front end which is kind of where all the gamma is, right? As we know, that is moving around so much that you're really struggling to get a handle on where the dealers are long or short an area, basically. So you've got to, you've got to kind of get quite granular with it and watch exactly what's happening on a week by week basis see how the implies are moving, see how the skews shifting, and see where the strikes that are active are to get a sense for where the clients are bought or sold them, basically, right? Now, I, I do think the more, the more adoption from institutions that we get, and we've had a decent amount already, the more we get of that, we will get more and more consistent overwriting flow, because that is clearly the biggest no-brainer for an institution who's long any kind of Bitcoin or Ethereum to then sell 10% out of the money calls at a massively fat premium every month to yield enhance that position is an absolute no brainer for an institution. So there you will get a natural supply of upside, which will probably depress that front end call skew. Uh, But then whether people are going to be willing to pay up for the downside on a hundred vol or whatever it is consistently remains to be seen. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I mean, in terms of the, sorry, but to answer your question, in terms of the ETF and the impact that's going to have Um, early to call, um, obviously the market front run the news massively and got very balled up and there's a lot of speculative buying into the news that's kind of done now. And, and the market hasn't done a whole lot since Friday when that news was pretty much nailed on, um,
1: 63,500 is where we're at right now. Yeah, so
0: we're kind of ticking, squeezing a little bit higher, but we've kind of run out a bit of momentum, right? All the momentum was last week. So, you know, I I mean, it looks like we're going to tap the all-time highs and then decide whether we want to break that and go go to the moon or whether we're going to have some meaningful correction, right? So it remains to be seen. Um, Tough ones are cool, but I I don't think this ETF that's been approved is a game changer, really, because it's a futures-based ETF. So what you've got is the whole point of being in Bitcoin to some extent is to be able to self-custody it and and have freedom from the system, right? And, you know, anyone who really is a hardcore Bitcoin or or is investing in it for those sort of reasons isn't going to be getting going into an ETF. Um, That is also going to have all these embedded costs like the the futures roll cost that trades at a premium to the spot. Every single month, you're going to be rolling that. So that's going to come to at least... 10% 10% a year extra cost of just holding that thing. So I don't think it's going to get loads of traction. And there has been one available in Canada, hasn't got a ton of traction. So it's not, it's not the one that's really going to be a game changer for Bitcoin. If anything, it's a stepping stone towards bigger bigger things. Like if there's a, yeah. if there's a spot ETF that gets approved, if Grayscale gets to convert their thing to an ETF, if more spot ETFs get approved and... The adoption increases, it opens up the universe of, of investors that can participate. It's a good thing overall for adoption, but this specific ETF, I don't suspect's going to get a ton of inflows that are going to be significant enough to matter, but it just might be the psychological signaling that the SEC has become more crypto friendly and yes. that type of thing is that's going to be more supportive, I would say. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the the reg uh, the regulatory aspect of it is certainly bullish. I I found when I was looking at the options open interest position that the the options position was really just not that big. And and the the other issue that I had with it is that it's bifurcated, right? You have Deribit, you have you know the futures exchange here in the U.S. There's a few other that are they're kind of all over the place. If you're in the U.S., you can't get access to most of these exchanges. I mean, I know a, a hedge fund could figure out where to domicile to, to play all these things, but it's all over the place, right? And I have to imagine very,
0: that. Yeah, it's very fragmented. Yeah. I agree, but but yeah. eighty-five and to ninety percent of the options volume does trade on Deribit. So to get Deribit, to okay. get a real feel of where the options are, Deribit's the place to be. Yeah, right. Um, and, and
1: trying to measure that underlying liquidity too, I think would be a challenge. Uh, you know, because there's so many people that hold for real life. I mean, that you know they're they're. Their coins are in cold storage or whatever, and, yeah, that's and the true. mining issues and all these other things. So, trying to figure out uh, how one might react to a squeeze is also kind of a kind of an interesting aspect of that.
0: Yeah, like I say, I think I think options positioning will start to matter more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the, the market needs to mature a bit more. And, and, you know, if we, if ledger X that's been taken over by FTX, if they can really grow their volumes and improve their liquidity and get the U S options players into the space in size, yeah. then maybe we can start to see some more sensible and, um, impactful kind of flows in the options market that, that we, that can help predict things basically. But at the moment, I'm, I'm not sure how much we can gauge from it, to be honest. Um, but I think we better, we better wrap it up now. Um, it's been great to have you on as always. Good chatting to you. Thanks
1: so much. I appreciate and, it.
0: No, thanks. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, um, why don't you quickly tell everyone where they can find about, find out about Spot Gamma and, uh, and check out what you do.
1: Definitely. Uh, I'm at Spot Gamma on Twitter and you can see me at HTTP www.spotgamma.com.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Nice one, mate. And, uh, I'll chat to you soon. Take care. All right,
1: buddy. Take it easy. Right. Bye. Right.
0: Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. To learn more about Options Insight and our trading community, please visit us at wwwoptions or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and also follow us on Twitter at options_insight. Until next time. Thanks.